Of all the commandments in the Bible, there are some that your neighbor would prefer you obey more than others. One of those commandments is the charge to be kind. Ephesians 4.32, Be ye kind one to another. While we are required to obey all of God's commands, and we know that in obedience to all of God's commands, others will be blessed, I want to focus our attention on one command today that arguably can have the greatest impact on those around us. As I said, in truth, every command from God's law word is an expression of love for our neighbor. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophets, Matthew 22, 37 through 40. And the Apostle Paul said, Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Romans 13.10 Anytime someone obeys God's law, they will be blessing others. However, being kind to others is one of the most powerful ways that we can immediately display the character of Jesus to others. We can display the character of God in our lives. God is love. And one of love's defining characteristics is kindness. In the passage, the scripture passage that Bobby read, the very end in verse 35, and speaking of how we are to be kind to others, the verse ends with, If you do these things, you'll be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. So I'll be talking about kindness today. Slightly different format than usual, but we're going to be going through kindness and considering how we may be kind to others and how this is an expression of God's character. Now, some have erroneously set up God's law against love, saying you can live by law or you can live by love. However, Jesus teaches us that we are to live by the law of love. Being kind to others is one of the most powerful and poignant expressions of love. In fact, the great chapter of love in the Bible is 1 Corinthians 13. It begins its description of love by saying that love is patient and kind. It's not a stretch to say that these two aspects of love, patience and kindness, are the core of what it means to be love. And everything else is an, an expansion of that. Not being rude, not being irritable, thinking the best, our explanations and amplifications of being patient and kind to others. So what does it mean to be kind? Daniel Webster in his 1828 American Dictionary of the English Language gives us a definition. And if you listen to me, you'll know I prefer Webster's original dictionary because Daniel Webster was a man who believed that meaning in life and in words must be rooted in God's truth. His definitions are filled with proof texts from the Bible. For example, his entry for kind is as follows. Disposed to do good to others and to make them happy by granting their requests, supplying their wants, or assisting them in distress. Having tenderness or goodness of nature, benevolent, benignant. And he quotes Luke 6.35, God is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. In Ephesians 4.32, be ye kind one to another tender-hearted. That's his entry for kind. No, we cannot always give others what they want. No, we cannot simply live our lives to make others happy. However, 
I fear we may often neglect kindness simply because we use the excuse that we can't make everyone happy. As we consider kindness, however, I trust we will see that there is much we can learn from the example of our Lord and other Christians in the past about the great call for us to be kind to others. Being kind means doing good to others. It can certainly mean giving them things. In his entry for kindness, Webster cites Acts 28, verse 2. In this passage, the vessel that the Apostle Paul was traveling on was shipwrecked on the island of Malta. The native people showed hospitality by kindling a fire and welcoming the travelers, supplying for their physical needs, warmth, and food. This was deemed by Luke as being shown, quote, unusual kindness. And so we may obey the call to be kind by providing for others what they need. The poor and needy in our communities can be shown kindness by providing them with a meal, shelter, or other resources. We do not do these things in order to get something back, but simply to show kindness. We don't do them because they deserve them or because they've shown us that they are worthy of our kindness, but simply to show kindness. And kindness also goes beyond the material things. It's a mindset that causes you to be focused on doing good to others simply for the sake of doing good to them. It means you are compassionate with other people's failings. You're eager to understand their struggles and hardships. You are quick to forgive and overlook offenses. You are always seeking for ways to build them up and encourage them. You are not focused only on your own wants, needs, and desires, but on the interests of others. Philippians 2.4 says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. The man or woman, the boy or girl who is genuinely concerned for the interests of others, of his sibling, his classmate, his co-worker, his employees, his wife, his children, his friends, his enemies, will no doubt be remembered by others as a kind man. A man who was more concerned with how others were feeling than with his own well-being. Now to understand kindness fully, we must understand that God is kind. Every command in the scripture is in one way or another a reflection of God's character. Jesus calls us to be kind because our Father in heaven is kind to others. Luke 6:35 but love your enemies and do good. See kindness is expressed in doing good. There's an action to it. Do good and lend or give, not just money, certainly it includes money or resources or food, but give of yourself, give of your attention, give of your emotions. Love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the most high, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. It's easy for us to understand giving a meal, giving $5 and not expecting that back. More importantly, we need to be in the mindset that we are willing to give of ourselves, our kindness to others, realizing that they may never reciprocate that, that we may never be recognized for that, except from our Heavenly Father, which is the true reward. Now, we may easily note how God is kind to believers. He saved us, forgiven us, given us new hearts, secured for us an eternal home with Him forever. But how is God kind to the ungrateful and the evil, as the text says in Luke chapter 6? 
To put it simply, God does good to them. He grants so many of their wishes in His mercy and kindness. He gives them life. He sustains them. He enables and empowers them to enjoy the blessings of family, friends, laughter, love, joy, beauty, the warm embrace of a loved one, the joy of holding a baby, the thrill of being victorious or successful, the satisfaction of a job well done, the enjoyment of a delicious meal, and a million other pleasures that God doesn't just allow but gives to unbelievers. These actions on God's part of doing good, I believe, start with God's mindset towards these people. God wants to do good to them. He delights in showering people, the righteous and the wicked, with blessings. He finds no joy in having to judge the wicked, though he will certainly do it with perfect righteousness and justice, but rather, he finds joy in showing kindness to his creatures, even those who are opposed to him, because God does not show kindness to them begrudgingly. So just as God is kind to others, even those that hate him, we are to be kind to others. You see, God is not like the God of deism. He didn't create the world, wind it up like a clock, and then step away at a distance to see what would happen. In fact, many, many Christians would acknowledge that, that God is intimately involved in our lives as believers, providing for us and sustaining us and giving us the things we need. But not only is God interested in our lives, He's interested in your unbelieving neighbor's lives. He's interested in your unbelieving co-workers. He's interested in your unbelieving family members. He's involved in their lives intimately. He provides food for the lions, Psalm 104:21. He feeds the birds, Matthew 6:26. If He does that, how much more is He involved in providing for your unbelieving neighbor or your unbelieving co-worker? Now I want you to try to think of someone in your life that you can show kindness to. If possible, think of an unbeliever. Think of someone that gets under your skin from time to time. And I want you to, to picture this person, and I want you to realize that God is personally interested in being kind to that person. God is already showing kindness to that person. He personally provides them with things in order not just to keep them alive, but to make them happy. Though this person may be rejecting God's love, God is still kind to them, not simply allowing them, as I said, but active, actively providing them with things to make them happy, food, shelter, friendships, beauty, love, goodness, mercy. No doubt their happiness will be shallow and incomplete without Christ, but nevertheless, God is kind to them. And here's the key point. God is not kind to them in order to get something in return. This person owes their obedience to God, whether or not God shows them kindness or not. God is kind to this person simply for the sake of being kind. Because he is kind. It's who he is. If God can be kind to this person, I trust you and I can be too. If God can be concerned with this person's well-being, their happiness, their feelings, their desires, with no concern for what that person may do for him, then that is the example that we should follow in our mindset towards others. Furthermore, we may note that God's law explicitly calls us to kindness. Being kind is not a new invention that Jesus introduced in the New Testament. Rather, it is a, ref is a reflection of the character of God and therefore expressed clearly in His law to us. Exodus 23, verses 4 and 5 say, If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring him back. 
to him, if you see the donkey of the one who hates you lying under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. Children, if you see a friend, a sibling, who seems to be at war with you, who has been unkind to you, has been mean to you, and you see they need help, they've lost their toy, and you know where it is, God calls you to help them find it, even if they are not treating you kindly. Of this passage, Charles Ellicott notes, Here we have a sort of anticipation of Christianity, active kindness to an enemy being required, even when it costs us some trouble. It was generally accepted in antiquity that a man's enemies had no claims on him. But God's law, however, requires us to be kind. And this is magnified further by Jesus' words and actions. That God lays on us a claim to all people, to be, to be kind to all people. Next, consider Jesus. Undoubtedly, Jesus is a kind man. During his earthly ministry, he was moved to help others. Matthew 9.36 says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. His acts of healing and provision were genuine acts of kindness. He would tell the truth to the crowds. He would let them know if their interest was more in physical sustainment than spiritual health. But it was his kindness that led him to help them to begin with. How many times we read in the Gospels that Jesus left? He, he wanted to be away from the crowds because there was, there was too, much, too many crowds and too many people focused on, on, on making him king then and, and for the wrong purpose. And it wasn't to get more attention that Jesus did these, these healings and, and provided for people. It was because it was his character. He was kind and he wanted to help them. He didn't heal and provide food simply as a means to show who he was, though it did that or to reveal people's true desires, though it did that too. He healed people, and he provided food because he felt compassion, and he chose to respond to their plight with kindness. In John 21, 25, we read, Now there were also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Imagine all the small acts of kindness that Jesus did throughout his life. What's recorded in Scripture is only a fraction of a fraction of the 30-odd years that Jesus spent on earth. Think of all the unwritten acts of healing, provision, compassion, listening to sinners' requests during His earthly ministry. Think of His patience and kindness toward His disciples and His enemies during those three years. Think further of the three decades prior to the commencement of His earthly ministry. Think of his years as a small boy showing kindness to his siblings and playmates. Imagine Jesus choosing rather to build others up than tear them down, looking for ways to reduce other people's burdens. Think of the kindness he showed as a teenager, looking for ways to serve his parents and help around the home, looking for ways to serve those in the community. Think of the kindness he showed as a young man going out of his way to help others. Jesus of Nazareth is the embodiment of love, and love is kind. We can spend a lifetime thinking of all the situations that Jesus faced throughout his life that are not recorded in Scripture, knowing his character and nature, how he responded with kindness. And one of, one of, the, way, one of the wonderful things about church history, because we don't have the rest of Jesus' life recorded in Scripture, 
One of the great things about church history is that we get glimpses of the power of Jesus in the lives of others. Occasionally we even see those of whom the world is not worthy, those of whom we can genuinely seek to follow as they have followed Christ. And I want to focus our attention briefly on one such man. His name was Eric Little. He was an Olympic champion that rose, that chose a life of service for Christ in China rather than the riches of sports stardom in Britain. He won the gold medal in 1924 in the 400 meters. And no one, perhaps not even God, would have faulted him for staying in, in Great Britain and serving the lost and needy there. He preached Christ, and he could have done that while also providing for himself and his ministry with sponsorships. He could have have been a very rich man. But to little, China was his home, and he wanted to help the Chinese. And his life is a remarkable story of faith and courage and strength. But most of all, to me, it's a story of kindness. After Little's pregnant wife and two daughters, um, so now he goes to China, he's there with his family. After his wife and two daughters sail to Canada, Little soon found himself in a Japanese internment camp in China that was set up for Allied nationals during World War II. It was amid the squalid and pathetic conditions that the love and kindness of Eric Little shone forth so brightly. At one point, nearly 2,000 prisoners were contained within an area about the size of three football fields. Little's entire life was characterized by kindness, but it reached its zenith there when so many others were overcome with self-pity and discouragement. Little chose the way of love. He chose to serve others and respond to such evil and selfishness around him with kindness, not simply to his fellow inmates, but also to the Japanese guards. In his book, For the Glory, Duncan Hamilton describes Little's actions at the prison camp. And I want to read this because I believe it's powerful, and it shows us a picture of Christ. In the beginning, the camp was filthy and unsanitary, the pathways strewn with debris, and the living quarters squalid. The claustrophobic conditions brought predictable consequences. There were verbal squabbles, sometimes flaring into physical fights, over the meager portions at mealtimes, and also the question of who was in front of whom in line to receive them. You think that you guys, you children, if we fight over a meal, imagine this, these conditions. People were hungry and starving. There was, they were fighting over food because they were maybe getting one meal a day. There were disagreements, also frequently violent, over privacy and personal habits and hygiene, as well as perceived idleness, selfishness, and pilfering. Little was different. He overlooked the imperfections of character that beset even the best of us doing so with a gentlemanly charm. With infinite patience, he also gave special attention to the young, who affectionately called him Uncle Eric. Skeptical questions are always going to be asked when someone is portrayed without apparent faults, and also as the possessor of standards that appear so idealized and far-fetched to the rest of us. Little can sound too virtuous and too honorable to be true, as if those who knew him were either misremembering or consciously mythologizing. Not so. The evidence is too overwhelming to be dismissed as easily as that. Amid the myriad moral dilemmas in the internment camp at Weishin, Little's forbearance was remarkable. No one could ever recall a single act of envy, pettiness, hubris, or self-aggrandizement from him. 
He badmouthed nobody. He didn't bicker. He lived daily by the most unselfish credo, which was to help others practically and emotionally. End quote. That was how he lived. He lived his life to help others practically and emotionally. Whenever we see men and women who are living Christ-like lives, it's a small opportunity for us to behold the beauty of Christ again, just as those who saw him perform the acts of kindness and miracles that he did in the first century. Men and women like Eric Little are satisfied with being like their master. They show us, yes, imperfectly, for Eric Little was still a sinner, but they show us the beauty and character of Christ lived out in the various contexts of human existence, in this case, a World War II prison camp. It is in this way that studying church history can show us, to a small degree, how Jesus Christ would have lived and loved in every era of human existence. Piero Ferrucci, in a book, on the power of kindness, written from an unbelieving perspective, says this, enjoying beauty is the easiest way to be kind. And I believe that is true if you look at that from a biblical perspective. The most beautiful thing in the world is Jesus Christ. When we behold Him and consider Him, He is the epitome of kindness. It makes us be kind to others. And so kindness characterized Eric Little. Whenever he won a race and he won plenty, he always gave his opponents the benefit of the doubt suggesting a rough schedule, unfamiliar terrain, or a myriad of other factors had hindered his opponent and caused him to be able to beat them. He never gloated. He never bragged. He always thought about how it would make others feel. He was kind to his wife. This is very convicting to me. In the brief messages he was permitted to send via the Red Cross to his wife in Canada while he was in a prison camp, he never pitied himself. He never focused on his plight. Instead, despite his failing health, lack of food, and ever-increasing workload, he put the most positive spin on his time in the prison camp, never for a moment considering his own well-being before his wives, his wife's. He was too kind to draw attention to the horrible conditions that would cause his wife to worry more about him than she already was. In his final letter, because he died in the prison camp, and he never saw his family again after they left for Canada, in his final letter, he opens with, I have received some of your letters and have news up to January. The hot summer is over, and we are enjoying the cooler autumn already. Instead of focusing on his own problems and struggles, he thought of his wife and showed kindness to her by being positive and encouraging in his notes about life in the, in the internment camp. He was kind to his fellow inmates in a thousand little ways. The prison camp was home to a dozen different social classes crammed together, in a very small area, and Little served them all. One prostitute remembered that Eric Little was the only man during her entire time in the prison camp that came to her room not demanding favors. He came to her room to serve her and help her with something in her room. Not least of all, Eric Little showed kindness to the Japanese guards, embodying Jesus' command to love our enemies and show them kindness. A fellow inmate, Stephen Metcalf, was with Little in the prison camp. In one of his Many acts of kindness, Little gave Metcalf his worn-out running shoes, a precious commodity, considering the fact that many had to wear straps of cloth around their feet for shoes in the wintertime. Metcalf later recalled that Little gave him two things, and he said this, Eric gave me two things. One, his worn-out running shoes. My own shoes had worn out, and it was midwinter. Three weeks later, Little died of a massive brain tumor. Two, 
The best thing he gave me was his baton of forgiveness. He taught me to love my enemies, the Japanese, and to pray for them. Inspired by Little's example of kindness and teaching on forgiveness, Stephen Metcalf answered General MacArthur's call for missionaries to Japan after the war. Metcalf said, I received his missionary baton of forgiveness and the torch of the gospel, which, with the Sermon on the Mount, has been shared with hundreds of Japanese. Eric Little's example of kindness changed many people's lives. And so we learn from the example of our Father in Heaven, God's law, the Lord Jesus Christ, and Christians like Eric Little, that kindness truly is the blessed way. Being kind causes you to focus on the interests of others and removes the opportunity for self-pity and self-seeking. When you are wronged, you choose instead to think of that other person, put yourself in their shoes, and ask how you'd want to be treated had you done that wrong. Because we all have sinned. There have been times where we've wronged others. The kind man, the kind woman, the kind boy, the kind girl thinks of the other and tries to show them kindness, even amidst personal hurt and loss. The benefits of kindness are myriad. Nevertheless, we don't show kindness in order to get things back, because that's not why God shows kindness. Kindness is its own reward. As we see in Scripture, we will be like God. With that being said, however, research confirms the benefits of kindness. Being kind leads to better health, more happiness, better immune system, better cardiovascular system, deeper and more meaningful relationships. And this, of course, confirms God's word, which says in Proverbs 17:22, A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Sin leads to consequences, consequences spiritual and physical. And obedience to God's law leads to blessings, spiritual and physical. In closing, I hope each one of us can think about some practical ways that we can be kind to people in our lives. Husbands, in what ways can you show kindness to your wife? How can you look for practical ways to ease her burden? Physically, emotionally. Wives, in what ways can you show kindness to your husbands? How can you serve him and help him going above and beyond what you may already do? Children, be kind to your siblings, especially the younger brothers and sisters. Do not look to take advantage of them. Instead, look for small, helpful ways that you can make them happy. These small acts of kindness multiplied over the course of your life will make up your character and flavor all your relationships. In the workplace, Do not let bitterness, gossip, envy, or anything else prevent you from showing kindness and compassion to every single person. This does not mean you don't speak the truth or never say something that may not sit well with someone, but it does mean that we will make every effort to do it in a kind and compassionate way. Even Jesus' harshest Condemnations of the religious leaders of his day did not prevent him from showing them kindness, praying for them, teaching them, even eating with them. I mean, think about that. If we were in Jesus' shoes and these people were trying to kill us, the kindness and patience and composure of Jesus to interact with these people, to have a meal with them, knowing their motives going on, still showing them kindness is amazing to me. And as I behold that beauty of Christ, it spurs me on to try to show kindness to those who in a much smaller way 
may be um, bothering me or may have wronged me in a tiny way. If someone wrongs you, think of ways you can serve them. How can you show kindness in spite of an unkind word that was spoken to you? How can you make this life's, this person's life easier? How can you be a blessing to them? The first step in showing kindness to others may very well be in praying for them. And that's what Eric Little did. He taught the people to pray for his enemies. And Stephen Metcalf said, When you pray, you are God-centered. When you hate, you are self-centered. It's hard to hate the people God loves. Praying changes your focus. And Metcalf said, My prayers didn't appear to change the Japanese, but I found my anger and animosity was changing. End quote. If we pray as Jesus taught us to, it is hard to be unkind to the people that God is kind to. If you're praying for that person, putting yourself in the mindset that you want good to be done to that person, it's hard for you then to be unkind to that person. And God is kind to all, even to the unthankful and the evil. We are required to do the same. Because we are called in Matthew, Matthew's Gospel and the Sermon on the Mount to be be ye therefore perfect, as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And I chose that hymn, Be Still My Soul. It was Eric Little's favorite hymn. And I did choose today to focus a little bit on him because I believe he's an example of kindness. And one of his favorite verses was that he often quoted was, Be ye therefore perfect, as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. It's a high standard. Kindness to those we love may seem like a high enough standard. But kindness to our enemies and those that annoy us and frustrate us and bother us is the standard that we are called to. Because love is not irritated. Love thinks the best and love chooses to respond with kindness in all that it does. So I pray that we would seek to be like Jesus. Seek to be kind to others and think of practical ways that we can help others. And I trust if we do that, we will find a multitude, a multitude of ways that we can show the love of Christ and the kindness of Christ in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word to us. I thank you for the example of kindness that we find in your word, in your law, in your character, in the life of Jesus Christ, and also in the example of, of your followers throughout church history. I pray, O oh Lord, that we would be moved as we behold the beauty of Christ in all these things, for he is love. He is the greatest example of kindness and compassion that we may find. And I pray as we behold Him in Scripture and we behold Him in the lives of other believers that we would be motivated, encouraged to show kindness simply because You are kind, God, and we want to be like You. It's enough. The student would be like his Master. And I pray that we would be like You, Lord Jesus, as we seek to follow in Your steps. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.